You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. I love elections. Not so much the issues because everybody argues and you lose friends and but I love the game of elections. And in fact, I've been following elections since I was 12 years old and I'm obsessed with them. And in fact, I also gamble on elections. So, of course, I call the world's greatest expert on elections, Phil Stutz. This guy has run hundreds of political campaigns for governor, for senator, for house, and even for president. He's been on the podcast a bunch of times to talk about elections. And specifically, he's politically neutral, but this is what he does for a living. He is the world's expert on election campaigning. So he knows everything that's going on. And he really changed my direction on some bets that I've been making. So uh, we talk about the 2022 midterm elections, who's going to take over the house, who's going to take over the Senate, what elections are close, what they're doing about it. There was a lot of interesting things I didn't know about how, you know, how one should figure this stuff out. And we talk about the 2024 elections. Who's going to run? What's the dynamic about, will Joe Biden run? Will Donald Trump run? Will Ron DeSantis run? Will Gavin Newsom run? He gives the whole lay down. So without further ado, Phil Stutz. Mm -hmm. 
This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. A, first off, I love New York City. I want New York City to succeed. My kids go to school there. They work there. You were at the fundraiser I did for Eric Adams. I love the new mayor. He's a good friend of mine. And I know he's, and we talked many times after my article, and I know he's, he's doing his best. But my main point, which nobody addressed when they all kind of vandalized my space and, and, and all sorts of other stuff, was that it's not going to be tomorrow that you see this, but two right. years from now, three years from now, yeah. when the office buildings are still going to be, everybody loves remote work. This is now borne out by surveys and the evidence and the reality. So uh, New York City office buildings have 40% occupancy rate. They're already cutting their leases. They're not going to re-sign their leases, particularly at the same prices, because this 40%, maybe it gets up to 50%, but probably not. And this was my whole point. If you And everyone says, oh, screw Midtown. Well, New York City costs $100 billion a year to even open the doors on January 1st. And if Midtown, which is the main office center of New York City, is gone or 40% occupied, you're not going to generate $100 billion in city tax revenues. And this is not just New York City. Every city is facing this. And people are saying, oh, let's convert it to residential oh. for the homeless. You can't do that. No, Goldman Sachs is not. paying, you know, whatever, thousands of dollars a square foot. New York City's going to be able to do that. They can't even afford their current services right now. I mean, I'm living this. We have an empty office in Washington, D.C. that has sat empty since March of 2020. And we pay five figures a month for it. And unless I want to file bankruptcy, I have to pay that every single month. And the lease ends in June 2023, like you said, three years later, right? Yeah. And we're going to pay it off at the end of this year and be have it off the books. And we're not getting any more office space. We're done. Screw all that. Right. And, you know, unlike most people who write articles or who wrote articles criticizing mine, I do my research. So I spoke to real estate developers who own office buildings in Midtown. And it's interesting. The There's two types who do it. There's older families who bought these these properties in the 1940s for cheap and they paid it off and they could withstand a storm. But a lot of newer names can't withstand a storm and there's going to be a lot of big bankruptcies, which is not good for any city. Not only that, you have, you know, this eviction moratorium doesn't exist anymore. For a long time, people couldn't be evicted from their apartments. But now the eviction courts are overwhelmed. And by the way, the judges never came back to work. So one of the reasons rental prices for even residential are high is because people who probably should be evicted or would have been evicted, and look, I care for those people and I'm sympathetic to them, but there's a lot of mom and pop landlords going bankrupt right now because they cannot evict. The eviction courts are not working. And so rental prices have to go up. It's not because, oh my gosh, everyone wants to live in these cities. So rental prices are going up. It's because you there's 800,000 people who should have been evicted in New York City. Many of them are still in their apartments. So supply is way down and the landlords are going to go out of business. And it's really sad. All these things on both sides. I know. And the good thing is we have such a strong economy. We'll, we'll withstand it. <laughs> well, okay. The economy wasn't bad. Inflation is not a bad thing necessarily for the economy. But now the, Fe- the Federal Reserve has been talking down the markets for so long that, yeah. you know, first off, when interest rates, when mortgage rates are double, 
Who's going to buy your house right now at twice the mortgage rate per month? No, not at a seven percent. Right. I mean, I got my my mortgage rate right now is at two point one two five because I locked in, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, right. And if someone bought your house right now, they would honestly they would pay three times as much per month as yes, you're paying per month. Who would buy that your house for three yeah. times the monthly rent essentially? Nobody Agreed. or very few. You'd have to be, you know, a different level of wealth. So it, it, it removes many people who could be buyers of your house. So they they're going to crush housing. They're going to people don't understand. It's not inflation or lower inflation. It's inflation or deflation. So when inflation goes down, that means there's deflation happening. And if there's too much deflation, you get yeah. into a deflationary spiral. So if someone looks at your house and says, "Well, I'm not going to pay uh, let's, I'm making up numbers. I'm not going to pay $500,000. I'll wait two months from now. It'll be $400,000. And then when it's $400,000, two months from now, I'm not paying that. I'm going to wait two months. It'll be 350. So people stop paying, people stop spending money and then more layoffs have to happen. Then people start spending less money. It gets into a, what's called a deflationary spiral. The federal reserve is risking that we're on the precipice of risking that. And I'm an optimist. And this is the one thing I'm, I'm worried about right now. In addition to all the other things to worry about, but, but which segues to the great Phil Stutz talking about elections. Phil, yeah, you are. Right. Oh, we, are we live? Yeah, we're live. <laughs> we've we're, we've been live. We're always alive. <laughs> so, Phil, I I introduce. I was introducing the concept of you to someone the other day, and I was saying, oh, I know <laughs> that's interesting. I know this guy who, you know, has helped run very significant elections, all the way up to a presidential election. And this guy responded, "Well, is he a Democrat and a Republican?" And I, of course, say, well, he he'll do both. You know, he's he's a mercenary. No, he's he's he he does elections. Like I've been, I've introduced you to Eric, for instance, who's a liberal right. Democrat. You were happy to talk to him, and I know you've done significant numbers of Republican campaigns. But I don't know, you know, where your your lines are. But uh, this person was interested in election history, and I said, oh, he should talk to you. But I'm interested in election futures. <laughs> So Ooh, yes, wanna, you are. I want to bet on the election using okay. predicted.org. So first off, yeah. where are we at on the elections? 22. Last time I spoke to you, by the way, you said yeah. Republicans, easy sweep in House and yeah. Senate, but this was yeah. before yeah. the Roe versus Wade decision, where which yeah. has yeah. dissuaded that was some in, voters. Uh, what, we, we had dinner in June? Yeah, around then. And then like a month later was the Roe versus Wade leak. Yeah. And since then, some... People who were going to some people who were on the fence that were going to vote Republican are now going to vote Democrat. I stand by what I told you in June that the Republicans will take the House and the Senate. Okay, I still believe those. So, so I want to dive down on that. But just so you know, on Predicted.org, the bet of who will control the Senate after mm -hmm. uh, 2022 is 59 cents Democrat, 44 cents Republican. So, so in other words, betters, people who are gambling on this, are significantly saying by almost. Is that two to one? That's almost two to one that the Democrats are going to take the Senate. So this is a good bet to, to, I think to it's vote, good bet. vote against, Let me, against that. Why don't, I mean, I might as well start out with dessert. Is that okay? Yeah. All right, let's start with dessert. Here's why I believe it. If I'm looking at data, you know, uh, you know, I look at a lot of data. And by the way, if you want to segue at the end of this and look at uh, for business owners to talk about what's going on in the economy, I've, we're just looking through a ton of data in the last 24 hours, and I can give you some updates on that too. But on the elections, this is biased polling, I'm about to tell you. This is like the public polling that is aggregated right now. Some of this polling is polling 
uh, registered voters. Well, in off-year midterm elections, the registered voter doesn't vote as much as the motivated primary voter, right? So I'm just looking at the worst case scenario and some of this. But if I was to look at that, let me just tell you what we're looking at on a national perspective, okay? Joe Biden has a 39.7% approval rate, a disapproval rate of 55.2. How the American voter, this is both people that will not vote and vote, but what's important is the people that vote are super motivated to make change, okay? Right now, 59% of Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy. 53% disapprove of his handling of foreign policy. 58.4% disapprove on his immigration policies. 64.7% of Americans disapprove of his inflationary policies. And 57.3% of Americans disapprove of him on crime. I just want to make it clear, and I'm sorry to interrupt. A lot of these that they're disapproving of him on are not necessarily his fault. So economy, you know, economy is something that moves and shifts over years. And the president also historically has, is not allowed to have a relationship with the Federal Reserve, which arguably is affecting the economy a lot more. So that's just one example. But I also want to ask Clinton in 1994, this was a great case where a Democrat was in charge and 1994, the Republican House, and I believe the Senate flipped and Newt Gingrich became the speaker in the midterms. So is it, what was Clinton's approval ratings then? They weren't very good because he had passed the, the tax hike, uh, if you mm-hmm. remember. Yeah. Uh, but same thing happened in 2006 with Bush, Yeah. right? The Democrats flipped uh, and took control. In 2010, we flipped again. That was the midterm of Obama's first term. In 2018, we flipped again when Trump had been in there two years and the, and the Democrats came back in control. Right. My point is this, there, it, you're, you know, the midterms, Biden's not on the ballot. I understand that. But that it, you're voting either for something or against something, especially in a midterm election. And the fact is, is that all the momentum, the deep-seated momentum is against the Democrats right now. It doesn't mean they can't pick off some of these races. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I have not seen this much. And then there's this other factor, and I want to be really clear, and I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by this. The, there's a, a pretty good pollster named Robert Trafalgar. Have you followed him at all? No, but maybe you've even told me about him before. I'm just writing these things down as you talk. Yeah, he, um, he uh, predicted Trump would win in 2016. He's a pollster. Okay. Yeah. And he predicted pretty much Trump would eke out or barely, you know, basically he predicted a tie, but Trump would probably win in 2020. So he got pretty close because everybody else was not predicting that. He is the one that identified that in 2016, there was a shy Trump voter, a, 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 a voter that, you know, supported him, but, but maybe wasn't all that vocal about it and then showed up to like, you know, everybody said Hillary was going to win. So there was a segment of voters that set that came out and voted for Trump that didn't show up in polling or in research all stuff. And then in 2020, he, he, um, he coined the phrase, the hidden Trump voter, right? People didn't want to be canceled. So, you know, there was just this hidden vote. And again, it showed up on the presidential campaign in 2020. He is calling it this time, the submerged Trump voter. And what I mean, what he means by that is not about Trump, but about Republican voters. 
that for the first time, Republican voters are actually like pulling their bumper stickers off their cars. They're not talking to their friends about politics anymore. If a pollster calls or they're being, you know, uh, surveyed, they won't take the survey. And he believes it's a significant amount of the voters that aren't showing up at all. And here's how I would tell you, look at it. I just told you Biden's disapproval rate on crime is 57.3%. But when Trafalgar asked a question recently, he said, did you feel safer than you did two years ago? Right? Did you feel safer than you were? They didn't say Biden, doesn't say anything. He just asked, did you feel safer than you did two years ago? 68% said no. You got 57.3 publicly saying, I don't, you know, Biden's not, you know, the crime issue with Biden is, I, I don't approve. But you have this other saying when you rephrase the question and you got another 10%, almost 11% more are answering that question and saying they don't feel safe. And so my point is this, when you see the public polling right now, there, there is a, a, an element of the voter that I believe is not showing up in any of the surveys or any of the polls that is going to turn out on election day. And that's going to benefit the Republicans because they have, they're the ones that have been canceled. They're the ones that are trying to, you know, being called that they're trying to end democracy and all these things that Biden's saying on the stump every day. And they, they're scared about their jobs. They're scared about anything, but they're going to vote and they're going to make change and it's going to happen in November. And so that's what I believe this election cycle is going. Okay. Now I want to drill down a little bit and then I'm sure you have polling information from all the specific races, but first off in general, incumbents usually win. And maybe the one exception is midterm elections where things are a little crazy. Um, And the incumbents right now in both the Senate and the house is majority. Democrat. The other thing is, is uh, Roe versus Wade has drastically, maybe drastically, maybe not switched votes. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to address the abortion issue on, on the polling too. Okay. So we'll get to that in, in a second. So, so, and then the third thing is, is that, and this is what I read recently, so you could confirm or deny this, but a lot of the Republican candidates, Trump has endorsed. And of the candidates that Trump has endorsed, there's a big disparity apparently in terms of how much those candidates are spending versus their opponents. So a Democrat, in, let's say a, a, a Democrat running for Senate in the same state as a Trump endorsed Republican running for Senate will spend maybe up to five to 10 times as much money. So they're getting a lot more power from advertising at this late stage in the election or going into the final stages of the election. So how much will that affect things at the end? In which case that favors Democrats. So you're talking about the candidates themselves. But in a lot of these races, let's take Arizona with Blake Masters and Mark Kelly, right? Because that's one that, that that specific scenario has played out in the media lately, that uh, Blake Masters doesn't ha- is not spending any money and Mark Kelly's spending millions. That's, that's an, that story is out in the media right now. Right. What the story hasn't told is that, he's, that Blake Masters has millions of dollars in super PACs dollars being spent on his behalf. Okay, but he's a special exception. But Masters is spending almost, it's not equal, but it's competitive with what the total that's being spent on both races. Okay, I will argue though, Blake Masters has, you know, he's the one who wrote one of my favorite books, Zero to One, He or he co-wrote it with Peter Thiel. Right. Uh, and yeah. Peter Thiel was on the podcast in 2014 to discuss this book. And uh, so, so my guess is Peter Thiel's packs are... 
this might be a special case. And by the way, so in, in on 538, Masters is falling behind in the polls. It's 48, Kelly, 41, Masters. Yeah, there are polls out there that have it within three points. There are polls out there with Masters that have him down 10 points. All of this stuff is all over the map because it is so absolutely inaccurate in a way. And what a way is you've got, you have pollsters that are out there polling registered voters, not midterm election voters. So they're, 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 they're polling people that would typically vote in a presidential election, but not vote in a midterm. You got pollsters out there still trying to use landlines and haven't caught up with how to use text, sell, um, and, and landlines all together and what that algorithm should be. And you've got these submerged Republican Trump voters that have decided they're going to boycott all this stuff and then show up on election day at the polls. I'm not saying Blake Masters win. I don't know. But it's closer than the public polling is saying. And that's because of all... James, how many years do you have to be inaccurate with, with what we see on the public polls, right? How much, How long... Do we have to go with the inaccuracies of 2016, 2018, 2020? This is the fourth cycle now. And everybody still thinks that when they see an NBC News poll or some, you know, uh, Emerson College poll that, oh, well, that's fact. Well, it's not fact. And I'm not like, I'm not arguing Republican, Democrat. I'm saying their methodologies are, are off and they're not. It's like, I, you know, you see a poll that comes out, maybe it's in the news. The first question I ask, well, hold on, hold on. What was the methodology? Because I can look at the methodology within three seconds and say that's bullshit or that's totally legit. What would be a good methodology, and, by the way? Well, it, a lot of it has to do with how, who you're polling and how you're getting to them, which a lot of these people that don't have a lot of money, let's say in Emerson College or even some of these news networks, like they... They, they are literally not pouring money in. They, they want to use the poll to sell ads. Remember, the TV networks are not doing polling to find out what's going on in the race. They're doing it so they can sell the story and sell ads. Like, that's it, right? So they don't have, an, they don't have a compass to get it right. They have a compass to sell ads. And so where you typically find the most innovative surveys and polling and data out there is in the internal campaign polls, which I don't have a lot of. I have some. Um, and I'm telling you just how to look at this leading into the election. Because ultimately, you know, everything in the, in the survey world has completely changed in the last eight years. And there are still pollsters out there that will not adapt and innovate and thus, they, but they still get their polls out because the networks are so excited to say they have a poll. So, okay, polling aside, though, you know, my initial point was that Republican candidates haven't been as aggressive about raising money, in part because Trump's influence in the Republican Party remains so strong that they could, they could afford to raise less money. But is it getting to an extreme? Like, Penn, Arizona is one example, but Blake Masters is either a billionaire or affiliated with enough billionaires, he's going to do fine. But like in Pennsylvania, you have uh, Mastriano. That's the governor's race. Yeah. So you, I think, uh, and look, I don't, I'm just reading off of an article here, so I don't even know who this person is. Yeah. He's got challenges. Yeah. He's raised $3 million. His opponent, right. Shapiro, has raised $25 million. Yeah. 
Yes, there are exceptions, and I will grant you that. Here's what I'd say is going to be really interesting to watch, okay? The the U.S. Senate race in Pennsylvania, you've got Fetterman versus Dr. Oz. That's the one I would watch. Fetterman was up 10 points about a month ago. Now, most polls have him, most polls that I see that I trust have Fetterman either even or up two. So there is this wave of momentum, right? The Fetterman, if people don't know, he had a stroke early in the summer. Now he's back. He was off the the campaign trail for like two months. Now he's coming back. He's every speech he's giving. He's, uh, he's having some kind of gaffe. It's obvious. He probably shouldn't be on the campaign trail right now. And that, that is starting to resonate with voters. The question is, does, let's say Dr. Oz, right? I'm going to predict he's going to win the race. And can I ask you, it's because, so right now in the latest poll, it shows he's four points behind, um, you know, Fetterman. And, but your point has always been, here we go. What poll? (laughs) Right. So poll folk Fox news. So I don't even know what poll that is. What what was their methodology? Uh, all right. Let's see. At the end, they usually say, uh, it was conducted September 22 to 22nd, surveyed 1,008 registered. Registered voters. Ding, 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 ding. You see? Yeah. So, so, okay. What registered it, voters aren't voting in this election. It's highly motivated registered voters. And if you're just, re- if you're just uh, surveying people that are just registered, by the way, 50% of registered voters don't vote. Did you know that? Period. I did know that, yes. The other 50%, about half of them vote in the midterms and about half of them don't. So 25% on average, like in a very macro sense, vote. So how would you except that they're doing the polling on all these registered voters? Right. So how would you but wouldn't wouldn't that 25% still be representative of the overall registered voter? Wouldn't the motivated ones be representative of all of the voters or no? No, I mean there there is the ability to go out and survey just the motivated voters, Democrats and Republicans and independents. But why would the motivated voters have a different opinion as a group than the unmotivated voters? Well, they're because they're going to vote, James. The other ones aren't voting. What is it? Why do you even care what the people that aren't? See, like my thing is this: like if a candidate came comes to me and says, "Hey, I'm going to walk," but here, here's a great example or, or uh, a metaphor of what I'm talking about. If a candidate comes to me and he says, "I'm going to walk this neighborhood and knock on doors and talk to the voters," my question is, well, "Who are you? Whose doors are you going to knock on?" If the if the candidate says, "Well, I'm going to go knock on everybody's door," and then I look at a voter roll and I say. Half the neighborhood is registered to vote. Half is not registered to vote. Of the half of that is registered to vote, only 10% will be turning out to vote on election day for your election because you can predict this. And so my point is, would you send that candidate to every door, all the registered doors, or just the people you already know are going to vote on election day? And that's the same thing I'm telling you here. But but I'm asking you about about what you're saying. So, so what's the difference? If you took a poll of only the motivated voters, the ones who are going to come out to vote, why would they be different? Like in what ways, like would they be lean more Republican? Would they lean yeah, more Democrat? They, they, they would lean more in 2018. They lean more Democrat. Mm-hmm. Oh, in 2000, you're, saying, you're saying the motivated voters, they're motivated by change. And so yeah. the ones who are more likely to vote are the ones who are more likely to not vote for the incumbent necessarily. That's right. That's right. And And why do you think that? Have you seen what's going on in the world right now in our country? 
I do. And you're saying also this has happened in every single midterm election. Yeah. Democrats said, have you seen what's going on in the White House? Like I'm, I'm voting. I got to do something to stop this guy. And also like taking the, the Oz versus Fetterman example, Oz is four points down in the polls and, and you brought, I, I you, actually you, think it's closer than that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. So you're critiquing the methodology of the poll, but also it's Robert Trafalgar's point that there might be shadow voters who are not just not responding to these polls because they don't want to, you know, they don't, they don't want to say what they're doing. Correct. And those you're saying, because of there's a certain shame factor, I think in many communities about, you know, whether you like Trump or whether you like Biden, whatever, you're saying that the, these shadow voters in this case are more likely to be Trump supporters. Not Trump. Well, not necessarily Trump supporters, but, but for Republic taking away the Democrats, um, uh, absolute power that they have. They have the control of the Senate, control of the House, control of the White House, right? So that that in itself, when I say Trump voter, just think of it like uh, it, it could be any kind of a Republican right now because they believe they're being canceled, they, that they're being told that they're fascists, that they, you know, uh, Biden's out giving speeches saying that democracy is under threat, that half the country is a threat to democracy, which is, you know, look, and so obviously he's doing that as yeah, a strategy. But 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 let's say he's doing that as a strategy. I'm just assuming everything. Sure, is a he's strategy trying to motivate his base, but that in a, in a midterm, yeah, you, you, he's desperate to motivate his base. Desperate. The problem is they're complacent. They have all the power. Right. So you're saying this strategy that he's doing is not going to motivate voters to come out the way it did in 2020. Well, in 2020, actually, if you think about it, the um, the Republicans gained 13 seats in the House. That they were they were supposed to lose 20, 25 seats in the House. They won 13 seats in the House. What I'm saying is, like, there are, I mean, James, there are like 57 toss-up seats in the House right now. Most of them are being held by Democrats. So, if they're toss-ups in a change election. And the incumbent power is in power. It's a change. I mean, you're going to see change now. How big will that be? I think that's the question. I don't. I don't think the question is will Republicans. Uh, Republicans will absolutely take the House. I agree. The Senate is up in the air because here's what people don't know, right? Thirty-three Senate races are up, but because Republicans won control of Congress in 2016, that was six years ago. So we have more Republicans up for re-election right now than Democrats. Does that make sense? Yeah. So even though the Democrats control the Senate, Republicans have more candidates on the ballot, like incumbent candidates, right? But, you know, there are, uh, I was looking at this, uh, you know, you've got uh, Arizona as a possible pickup. Uh, because uh, Nevada is a possible pickup for Republicans. Georgia is a possible pickup for Republicans. Um, and then the the Democrats, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. And then, and then there's like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and Ohio where Republicans have to defend. And that's more. That's four to three, right? So, you know, Republicans have to defend more in the Senate. The question is, if I, what my belief is, is that there's so much momentum that I believe they're going to get to 51. That's all they need, right? Right now, it's 50 to 48 to two. Those two are Angus, King, 
And Bernie Sanders, they're independents, but they caucus with the Democrats. And so the Republicans really, they've got to hold the defense, which in Pennsylvania, I believe they can. In North Carolina, they will. In Wisconsin, they will. And in Ohio, uh, right now, J.D. Vance is actually taking the lead for the first time ever in that race. So, so I believe that. So, so the question is, can Republicans pick up one of these three in Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona? And if they do, they hold the majority. So, so and then hold on one more, one more, one more. If this thing is a blowout beyond words for Republicans, then you got three more that become outliers, Washington State, Colorado, and New Hampshire. Those are long shots for Republicans. Let me make that very clear. I'm not saying they're going to win it. But if, if we're way, if, if even I'm wrong in how much I'm underestimating uh, that the Republicans are going to blow, you know, blow through the Republican voters, then maybe one of those could be in play. Maybe. Maybe. Long shot. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides, like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I was just talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. 
And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So a couple of things you said that's very interesting. When I look at predicted.org, which again is this prediction market, you can bet money and actually make money. Who will control the Senate after 2022? It's overwhelmingly Democrat that the, the gamblers are predicting. And they've often been... That's a good buy then, right? Yeah. So, so buying Republican for 44 cents, what happens is if Republicans win, every share at 44 cents you buy immediately goes to a dollar. And so you make you know 150% on your money. But... Um, which party will win the Pennsylvania Senate race? This is even more. It's basically 66 cents Democrat and 37 cents Republican. So you're saying that is, that's even better odds to, to bet on the Republicans there. And which party will win the Senate, Arizona Senate race? That's the Blake Masters one, right? Yeah. Uh, that's 67 cents Democrat, 35 cents Republican. So predicted.org could be getting it wrong. And I want to be clear on this. I, I don't think Blake Masters is winning right now, mm -hmm. but I think there's a lot at play that people aren't taking into account, right? I do believe that Dr. Oz is virtually tied with Fetterman and he was down 10 points a month ago. So you can see that momentum swing. Masters needs to get the momentum swing and you may see it, right? But you may not. You may have ticket sweaters. Because here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. You talked about these Trump uh, candidates earlier. Carrie Lake is running for governor of Arizona, and she is as Trump as it gets. And she's winning big time right now over the, her Democratic opponent. And she's and an so, example where she has not raised anywhere near as much money as her opponent. But she's already over 50% in the polling that I'm seeing. Hmm. She is predicted to win, not by an, you know, sort of this submerged voter that we talked about earlier, she's predicted to just win. And that says a lot because they're not factoring in this boost of this submerged voter. The question is, do you have ticket splitters in Arizona or do, do people just go in and go, oh, screw it. I'm voting for the whole, I'm, get, I'm throwing all these guys out. And, and if they, that's what happens, the Masters has a great chance of winning. What polls do you look at? Internal. Okay. <laughs> Um, okay, so which party will win the House in 2022? That's overwhelmingly Republican, and you agree with that. Absolutely. But the Senate, like I said before, is at least in, in the 
gambling markets is uh, leaning Democrat. The closest, and we've already discussed why that is probably incorrect. The closest Senate race that there's actually bets on that is considered Georgia. Now, Herschel Walker looks like he's a little bit behind in the polls. Raphael Warnock, I see his ads every time I turn on YouTube. Yep. Uh, what What's going on there? Because Herschel Walker is, you know, he's not everybody's favorite candidate. He's like a total, mm -hmm. if you like Trump, you might like Herschel Walker. Chances are you're not going to like Herschel Walker other than that. Well, there's a reason that, that, that Democrats won this, those two Senate races in Georgia right after the Senate. Uh, or the election yeah. in 2020. There was this whole presidential campaign motivation behind it, right? Yeah. And I, I'm not going to dig up. I just don't think that the Republicans did a very good job at all in that, right? So what we're seeing right now is that that Warnock race is pretty close. Now, two months ago, Herschel was seven, eight, nine points down. Now, it's within one or two points. So again, I'm not saying Herschel is winning, but right now he's made up a lot of ground. And what typically happens in these elections, James, is that people aren't paying attention and they're like, oh yeah, I saw that news clip of Herschel say something weird and oh, that's odd. I, you know, I'll probably just support Warnock. But then when the rubber meets the road, when they are forced to start really paying attention, and you see, like, whether it's in Pennsylvania or Georgia, you see these gaps start to close. That is what I pay attention to. Because when the rubber meets the road, they go, yeah, maybe Herschel's not the best candidate, but we got to have some balance in government to this president right now. That's what voters are saying, right, or thinking. So if I saw this momentum swing go towards Warnock, I'd be like, oh, okay, they're closing towards Warnock now. Got it. Okay. They've just said... Uh, not Herschel, you're not for me. But when I see this swing, especially where we are here five weeks out from election day, I go, ooh, that's super interesting. October, it's going to be really fun to watch because, it, I mean, it is going to be a bloodbath on all of these races. And of course, most people hate that stuff. I love it because it's what I do. Now, uh, it's very interesting because obviously... There's a lot of evidence that when there's a, uh, a a different party controlling the presidency than the party that controls the House and Senate, the economy and the stock market tend to do better. Now, that's not statistically significant, but I could understand why. It's because there's less interference from politics in the economy. And politics often makes people lose a few IQ points if they're totally dedicated to one party or the other. But what is the role now of the Roe versus Wade situation because that yeah, did dissuade that did dissuade a lot of Republican voters from voting Republican, correctly or incorrectly. Um, I don't know if it dissuaded Republican voters yet. We'll see on election day. I know it dissuaded maybe independents okay. from voting for Republicans, right? So But a lot of Republicans might be socially liberal, but conservative economically, the socially right, liberal but in ones in this world, they're they're also not looking at abortion as the only thing that's going on. Right. So here, this is Biden has two sim two one advantage one semi advantage. Let me tell you when I say Biden, I mean the Democrats. I mean in this election because Biden is the reflection of the party. Okay, it's the same thing when I talk about Trump. Trump's a reflection of that of the party, right? So Biden has uh, uh, one of them. The semi is handling of COVID. He's got a forty eight point seven approval rate, a forty seven percent disapproval. So he's about even 
but it's not hurting him, his handling of COVID. But when it comes to abortion, there again, let, let me say this. It's a little bit more nuanced than you think. So if you just poll all American voters, right, and you ask them about the whether they oppose the Supreme Court's decision that was recently made on Roe versus Wade. 54.4% oppose the decision the Supreme Court made. 54.4. 26.5% support the decision. So this it falls in line with what you're talking about. It's a huge advantage in the elections to be used by the Democrats. I'm not arguing there. But... When you look at it and you ask it a different way, you see a different answer, okay? So when you see that 59.1% of these same voters want some restrictions on abortion after 15 weeks and 40.9% of voters support abortion at any point and any time all the way up till birth, that's a more nuanced conversation. And so the Democrats are out there screaming Roe versus Wade. The Republicans are screaming, you know, pro-life 15 weeks. Or, or they, they're, they're even bypassing that. They're just saying the Democrats are for uh, abortion on demand all the way up till birth, right? Because why are they doing that? Because they know 59.1% of voters oppose that. Mm. So it's a different way of looking at it. And the frame of that is different. But does Biden have an advantage? Has it helped him? Absolutely, yes. I'm not, please understand this. I am not saying it doesn't, it doesn't help. I'm just saying, and I know a lot of people listening are going to get caught up in the policy. I'm not playing the policy game here. I'm telling you how it'll play in the elections. I'm telling you what it looks like from a, how are you marketing these candidates and then who can ultimately win? And so that's where I'm coming from. I just want to be really clear because you know what's going to happen. People are going to say, oh my God, you know, uh, Philip Studs thinks that, uh, you know, abortion's horrible, like whatever it is, right? They'll bend it to whatever they want. I am a mercenary political operative that's thinking about how it plays in the elections. That's all I'm thinking. I'm agnostic to the issue as we talk about it. Right. And I, by the way, I believe that's incredibly important to do what you do. Like it sounds mercenary, but your job is to advise and consult about elections. You understand the game of electioneering better than anyone else I've ever spoken to. And that's why I love having you on is because if you were biased one way or the other, even if I agreed with your bias, it's not going to be helpful to understanding these elections. A couple other things. In the data that I work with, right? You know this. We've, I've been on many times to talk about this, but I have a partnership with the largest data collection, analytics, and AI company in America. And in my database, I have 230 million American consumers 550 million connected devices. We're tracking 10 billion purchasing decisions every day and a trillion searches every day, okay? And we just did an analysis on the economy with the American consumer. 76.8% of American consumers right now are identifying as struggling to pay for necessities or just getting by by paying for necessities and not having much more left. 76.8% of Americans. There is a 23% that's doing great. They're fine. The, the inflation hadn't hurt them at all. But when you have 76.8% yeah, of Americans that are struggling to pay for necessities, they are looking for answers. And they are saying, we gave you guys two years and it's gotten worse. 
So we're going to give somebody else. And when I say that, I mean, really, I mean independence. And it's going to motivate Republicans that would typically only vote in a presidential election to turn out even more in a midterm, right? And and again, I want I want to express that it, it's not necessarily the president of the United States who's at fault for just two years of economic gains or no gains. Like if like if the economy had had done great these two years, I wouldn't necessarily give Biden credit either because economic policy lags economic. I mean, economic results lag by many months or even years. Economic policy changes. So, but but to your point. Voters don't care. They're they're kind of in the present. And so if the economy's bad, they vote the other way. I mean, it is it just goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. The funny thing was is everything I'm telling you right now would have been completely opposite in 2018. You had Republicans not motivated because they controlled the House and the Senate and the presidency. And they didn't turn out like the Democrats did because the Democrats were like, we need change and independence were motivated to turn out for the Democrats in 2018 at a, at a rate that got them the House and the Senate back. And ultimately, it got them the presidency back in 2020. And what I'm telling you is, I've done this a lot. I don't know how big this momentum pull is to, the, uh, to, to Republicans on the Senate and the House, but it's going to be bigger than what I think other people are predicting. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So let's move on to the, the 2024 presidential okay. elections, which are going to be very exciting, we know, right from the beginning, because I would say both parties are up in the air. I mean, normally... If it was, you know, here it's a second term election. Normally, uh, if you were to if you were to gamble on who's going to be the presidential nominee, well, in 1996, you would have said almost 99 percent Bill Clinton. But now Joe Biden is trading at 36 cents on predicted.org. Gavin Newsom's at 17 cents. Kamala Harris at 13 cents. Pete Buttigieg's at nine cents. Then Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, AOC, Elizabeth Warren. So. And and Joe Biden, you know, 36 cents versus Gavin Newsom, 17 cents. That's interesting. That's closer than one would expect for a second term uh, primary. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. I've said this for two years now. Joe Biden is not running for reelection. Okay, so that would be a great bet to short. <laughs> and I believe Gavin Newsom will, would crush Kamala Harris. But, but I'm going to throw something out that we may be replaying in a year or two. Um, or maybe two years because of the primaries. I also could see a scenario where 
Kamala and Gavin beat the crap out of each other in a primary and Pete Buttigieg comes up the middle. By the way, I was on your podcast and I predicted that Pete Buttigieg would win the Iowa primary two months before the Iowa primary with this exact same strategy that everybody would beat the crap out of each other and Pete Buttigieg would come up the middle. I predicted it on your podcast two months or six weeks before the Iowa caucus, and it's exactly what happened. And And so you can see that scenario again. I'll I'll add that you also, on the ground in Iowa, you thought Pete had, Mayor Pete, had uh, uh, put together the strongest organization, which people don't realize how important that is for a caucus. Yeah. So, so, but here though, I doubt Gavin Newsom or Joe Biden will make the same mistake by not having a strong organization in Iowa. Well, no one's going to run against Biden if he runs. There, there won't be a primary. Oh, you don't think um, Gavin Newsom would run even if Biden nope. runs? Nope. Why nope. is that? Well, he said it last week. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. And so, okay, so give me the- I know, to- I know. A politician said something, you're supposed to believe it. But when you, in this, in the declaring a presidential campaign, uh, if you say, I'm not running if Biden runs for re-election, then- I, I tend to say there's the odds of that happening are very, very big. Because because there are consequences for going against the political machine. Yeah, I don't I mean he's just made that calculation. Maybe he's seen the polling that says he can't win. I mean, trust me on this. Gavin Newsom does not do anything uh I, I he is very calculated, let's just say that. And well, I, and, and this date like so we talked about the Ohio Senate race real briefly, JD Vance, the Republican candidate, but Friend of mine and friend of the podcast, Tim Ryan, who yep. I I great, admire great Tim meditator. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. He wrote a book on meditation. I, I admire him a lot. And he also, here's what I admire too. He ran against Nancy Pelosi, the most powerful Democratic politician almost ever. He ran against her for Speaker of the House and lost, of course. And he has paid the consequences. He they don't give him committees anymore. Uh, he has like no power in the house, which is why he's now running for for Senate. So he definitely is a, was a profile. Well, encourage and, there. and when we, we had this earlier conversation about the momentum, right? So JD Vance has been down all summer long to, to Tim Ryan, right? Yeah. And now he has pulled even or even some polling. He is up now. So do you see what I'm saying? Like things are kind of coming home. Things are kind of showing up. Like they're going to, we still have five weeks to go. Everything I said today could, there could be some kind of like a nuclear bomb goes off and everything gets, the apple cart gets turned over and American voters say, you know what? A nuclear bomb went off. We have, we, we need to keep stability in the government. We're going to vote for everybody. The, 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 all the incumbents, like these things can't happen. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is all things being equal, things staying relatively the same as they are right now. You can watch this momentum. And when you see it, that means the voters are, finally paying attention and finally making their decision. So Joe Biden, he's 36 cents out of a hundred out of who will, so he's basically a 36% uh, chance they're giving him in predicted.org who will win the democratic presidential nomination in 2024. And pretty much the only reason he's only 36 cents and not 99 cents is because a lot of people probably think he's just not going to run. Like you said, none of these other people are going to even run if Joe Biden is running. So what are the reasons there's some obvious ones like he's he's old he might get an ill health but what are some other reasons why he might not run for president he has dementia okay he okay but you know i'm willing to believe he's down that road like many older people but he doesn't have a hundred it's not like you look at him and say he can't remember who his kids are he can't remember how to go to the bathroom like 
he he's in if he's has dementia, he's in clearly early stages and not middle or late stages. Like he has mild dementia, worst case. So I don't believe the dementia thing as much as a lot of people. But okay, that's one reason. What's another reason? His policies have been failures. <laughs> but but then you could argue that about any of the Democrats. But uh yeah, I mean, what actually and here's this is I never know what are his policies. Well, I mean, he he stopped the the Keystone Pipeline. He he stopped all of these things where we would have our own domestic energy production. He stopped all that. He's pulling all of the oil out of our uh, our energy reserves. Right there, there's an oil crisis. He put took us to war with Russia. And remember, I told you this a second ago, or he took us to war to support the Ukraine and Russia. Sorry, I'm going to get yelled at for that. But 53 percent of all voters disapprove of his foreign policy, right? Mm -hmm. um, look at what's going on on the border, open borders. When I say 58.4% disapprove of his immigration policies, that's, in, that's interesting, right? I agree. Maybe uh, his, you know, uh, inflation is due to a lot of different things. There were money pumped into the market while President Trump was president. I get that. But when you look at the just the perception of it, sixty four point seven percent disapprove of his inf uh, of him on inflation on the issue of inflation, and fifty nine percent disapprove of his uh, his position on the economy. Um, and and then and then look at look uh, look at the crime stuff going on around the country. Again, is that his fault? I don't know. But he's the president. He's gonna get. He's gonna. It's a reflection of him, regardless, right? Whether it's for the it's the mayor's fault or the governor's fault or the president's fault, but that's usually not enough to convince someone not to run. Like if anything, that makes him run because he says, "I'm going to change things." So, uh, uh, so, so I can understand also, his age. Uh, the last thing I'd say is this: whether he has dementia or not, mm -hmm. being president is it takes life off your years, and the guy is going to be what eighty if he runs for election, seventy nine or, or eighty, yeah, and so. You know, maybe he just sits there and says, "Do I really want to do this?" I've I, his his whole goal, his whole life was to be president. He achieved it. Does he does he really want to put up another four years? And that's a decision he and his family are going to make. But I would tell you, with all that has happened, all of his unpopularity, um, I I don't see him running. Yeah, so he's kind of like an, an LBJ sort of situation where things get so bad that he can't really account for them. And he just says, you know what, I'm going to, and, and then maybe he loses an early caucus or primary like, like LBJ did. I think LBJ was like third in New Hampshire in 1968. Eugene McCarthy, I believe was first. And he just drops. I out. don't think he'll do that for, to the democratic party. I don't think he's going to even run out there and then drop out. I think he's going to say sometime in, in before the presidential primaries kick in, I'm not running. I'm going to hand it over and let uh, new, new blood come into this party, whether it's Kamala or whether it's uh, Gavin Newsom or whether it's Pete Buttigieg. Do you, do you have any insight into what what he's actually thinking? Like, what's what are the people saying who are close to him? I don't think he does. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. No, I mean clearly, if he doesn't run, Gavin, Kamala, Pete Buttigieg, perhaps Elizabeth Warren. Nah, she's in her she's in her mid seventies. I just don't see that happening. Uh, Bernie Sanders seems too old as well. What about no. AOC, who's going to be precisely 35 when uh, when the new president takes office? Well, that'd be interesting. I I just don't see that. But I, you know, again, I don't. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just don't see it. What about anybody who perhaps is up and coming? Either they win an election this year or they won one, like Eric Adams in New York or or Stacey Abrams yeah. if she she's not winning in Georgia. Okay. That's absolutely off the table. She's not winning.
she's getting destroyed right now. So, so who's who? Who's another potential surprise candidate, like an, an yeah. Obama surprise? I mean, I know Eric had said that he's interested, but I don't know if that's real mm-hmm. at this point. Um, but I, I just don't know anybody else. Like, are there any star power Democrats out there? I don't. What do you think? I mean, I don't know. I guess the governor who is most well known is probably Gavin Newsom. And, and the thing is, okay, I have, I like a lot of Democrat governors. I like a lot of Republican governors. It just depends. Gavin Newsom though, is a train wreck. Like anybody can just look at California. How is he, how is he going to get any votes? Or is it going to be like, you know, an anybody but situation. So let's vote for Gavin Newsom. If you, again, let's, let's like, I talked about this indicator that people pay attention to of how these polls are starting to swing one way, like whether it be in, uh, in Georgia or Pennsylvania, right. Or Ohio. And we haven't seen it yet in Arizona, but if you watch, it may happen. That's an indicator, right? I think when you see Gavin Newsom running ads in the state of Florida, uh, telling people to come to California, that is not a cutesy thing. That is the guy wants to run for president and he's trying to get attention from Democratic voters, not Republicans, not independents, Democrats that want to stick it to Ron DeSantis. And they say, man, that guy's standing up for us. The only reason that Gavin Newsom is picking a fight with the state of Florida and Ron DeSantis, right, Governor Ron DeSantis right now, is because he wants to run for president. So when you see politicians do these things, there is an uh, ulterior motive behind it. That's where I see that. And I guess the point is, is that, again, I mean, I, 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 this is no offense to anybody from California, but California has real problems. Like they're, they're, they're running a huge deficit. The crime is off the charts. People are leaving. There's a big exodus from California. I wish California was better. I would love to move to California. Uh, if California was, was better. I love California, but Gavin Newsom doesn't seem to be the best governor California's ever had. I would argue on both sides of the aisle, there have been better governors of California, including- Yeah, he's, he's got an ad out right now that says they're running a surplus. He's, I think he, he's saying that he's created more jobs than Ron DeSantis has in Florida. Like He is running on a, he cherry picked his record just like all politicians do. Sure. And he's saying, I'm the great savior. And that's his message. I mean, so so is Gav- is Gavin Newsom though the best choice if Biden doesn't run? Like, because again, I'm going down the list: Kamala after him, Pete Buttigieg, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, no, AOC, not. Elizabeth Warren, Stacey Abrams, Amy Klobuchar, J.B. Pritzker, Sherrod Brown. No. They don't even have like you know people like Eric Adams on the list. But uh, no. who? I mean, what about if Raphael Warnock wins in Georgia? Because considering how nationwide this race is. Could he be a potential? I mean, you could say he slayed the dragon twice, beaten Republicans in the state of Georgia twice, 2020 and 2022, right? Maybe. But uh, Warnock's got one big issue. He has a domestic uh, abuse uh, charge against him. Uh, I see. By his, by his ex-wife. What about, okay, what about Tim Ryan in Ohio? He already ran. He finished like 800th. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. I totally forgot. Um so, okay, so Gavin Newsom, I mean, I guess I would probably short Kamala Harris because I can't imagine her running. Now, again, she's like she's like Tim Ryan. She came in like 13th in the race in, in 2020 in the primaries. 
So Gasman Newsom probably is the choice, but the only reason you can't Yeah, I would if you're gonna go gamble on it, I'd put it on Gavin. But the only thing is Joe for the nomination. Joe Biden, who's trading at 36 cents, that's probably a very reasonable like this is probably a fairly valued thing right now. 36 cents for Joe Biden to be the nominee, 17 cents for Gavin Newsom. These are probably fair picks. Mm -hmm. If Joe yeah. Biden wasn't in there and Gavin Newsom was at 40 cents and Kamala Harris was at 38 cents, maybe I would bet on Gavin Newsom. But it seems like this is a fair market right now. Mm -hmm. What about the Republican nomination? Uh, so All let me right. just tell so, you the, the statistics. It's almost neck and neck for who will be the Republican nominee. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, it's much more, is a little ahead. It's much more murkier because you've got potentially Trump, DeSantis, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Rick Scott, Josh Hawley, Mike Pompeo, Ted Cruz, Glenn Youngkin, who's the governor of Virginia, Mike Pence, um, Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota. You've even heard John Sununu, governor of New Hampshire. In there. Oh my God, that he will never win. So, but my point is this, you got about 20 people that run. So the, the, it's just too, it would be too complicated. And really nothing really matters until Trump makes the decision. So, okay, DeSantis, Trump, 36 cents versus 30 cents. Everybody else is, nobody else is higher than four cents. So what's going on with DeSantis and Trump? In, in what way? In the, in the Republican presidential nominee. Like, I think a lot of people view DeSantis as a lot of favorable conservative policies that Republicans like, but without the baggage of Trump and the personality of Trump. So I think that's why DeSantis is at 36 cents and Trump is at 30 cents. But DeSantis, and also DeSantis will run if Trump runs, I believe. So what's, how would you, how would you figure out the right odds there? <sighs> I don't know, man. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to avoid the question. It is such an unknown. You know, the question is, does Trump run? You know, the, all the indications are he's going to run. I, I always say, you know, he's, he's what, 76, 77 years old. It's two years away. Um, it, it is, uh, he, he's got all of these uh, people coming after him, whether it's in New York or wherever. Um, do you really want that headache? Do you want, want to take another financial hit by doing it? And again, I'm not saying whether you, you, know, you like him or don't. I'm just talking about whether he'd run or not. Um, and you're, do you really want to do that at 78? Maybe he does. Uh, I, I tend to think it's more complicated on his end. I just don't, but I don't have any insight on that. Like no one does. And I'm telling you, no one does. The only person that knows is Trump. And I don't even know if he knows. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm being serious. I just don't. Um, I have no idea. DeSantis appears to be like he's going to run. Uh, he's, it, it, you know, he, he's making all these, you know, all the things you see, you would, it would appear that's what he's going to do, but that's not clear either because if Trump runs, maybe he decides to keep his powder dry for four more years. So I don't know. That's the honest answer. I do know that if Trump decides not to run or if he does run, there's going to be a lot of candidates regardless. And what happens is the same thing that happened in 2016. There were like 20 candidates. And I was on, let me get to this. I got this horribly wrong. I have many documented appearances on MSNBC, CNN, uh, Fox News, Fox Business, where I laughed hysterically about Trump winning. But what I didn't realize at the time, because I didn't think he could win, but what I didn't realize at the time is there were so many candidates that Trump really only needed about 22% in some of these elections, 25%. Yeah. He split the vote. All these people split the vote. And Trump had such a powerful base 
that it got him the nomination. And the question is, is if you have another 10, 20 people run again, which you may, and Trump jumps, jumps in, it's going to be an, it, it would be simple for him because he's got his base and the other people don't. But that election in, in 2016, look, you had candidates like Jeb Bush, Ted Cruz, all of these people, Marco Rubio, all of these people have been talked about as possible presidential candidates in 2016 for a very long time. But right now, even though those names are still there, you really only hear people talking about Trump versus DeSantis. Like those are the two main guys. Yeah, I don't think it's a fragmented race. You're not a Republican race. primary voter, James. That's why I'd push back. <laughs> yeah, so you think you think a Republican primary voter will sit there at home and think, hmm, should I go Ted Cruz this time or should I go Donald Trump? No, I think a re what I mean by that is I think the Republican candidate of Nikki Haley or Rick Scott or Mike Pompeo thinks they can win over the Republican voter. And thus they will run. I see. And so, but I do, I am willing to believe though, that let's say it's DeSantis versus Trump. Who do you think out of those two will, will carry the day? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I you know, when I, I'm pretty, I know strong, time away, so I'm it's hard pretty to strong in my opinions. And when I'm completely have no idea, I'm just going to tell you, I have no, I mean, that is so, uh, there's so many different factors. I mean, it's impossible. And the reason I say that is it'd be impossible to say if, if uh, Biden went up against Gavin Newsom, I'd say, I don't know, because Biden could have a heart attack or Trump could have a stroke and then everything changes. So me trying to predict what's going to happen is totally like wrong. Now, I could say, you know, that in an open primary of Kamala and Newsom and Buttigieg, Hey, I could see Newsom beating Kamala, or I could see Buttigieg coming up the middle because Kamala and Newsom beat the crap out of each other. But when you're talking about incumbents, and there would there's a possibility of two incumbents being on the ballot, right? Uh, Trump being an incumbent, Biden being an incumbent, then it's impossible to predict that. Plus, both of them are in their late 70s. So that is just impossible on both sides if they were both to run to try to predict at this moment. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's terrible podcast, but I, that's just- No, weird. no, but let's say let's say health wasn't an issue for either. DeSantis versus Trump, who do you think- I don't know. Well, DeSantis- I don't be, know, I mean, DeSantis is, I haven't, you know what? I typically look at my, I look at all the data and then I may formulate an opinion and I have looked at none of that because frankly, James, all I'm looking at right now is 2022. And I'm not, that's not like sure. a- Double speak. It's because I'm in the weeds of so much data, both on the corporate side with our corporate clients and on the political side with our political candidates, that I, the presidential campaign is the first, it's all speculative right now. It's like useless to me. But it's so much fun to, to speculate. Well, here's the thing we should speculate what happens on the independent side? All right. All right. So you got Lynch. Uh, three candidates stick out to me Liz Cheney, who would be pulling from Democrats. Yeah, you potentially have Tucker Carlson who could be pulling from Republicans. I didn't even know this was an issue. Tucker Carlson is thinking of running as an independent, and then you've got this guy named James Altucher. That's a big one. <laughs> He's on the ballot already. You know that, right? I I did register with fec.gov, but I'm not sure. I, I know. Up with my I, in filing. fact, in pre I was just kind of looking before the show. I went on ballotopia.com. Huh? And it was like declared candidates for president 2024. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. I got, I got to check to see if James is on there. Oh yeah, you made it. You're on I, there. I did? Wow. Yeah. All right, I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> yep. And so, uh, no, I don't, t t Tucker Carlson has, uh, I think he's having fun with the flirtation of it. Um, and, and even 
I don't even know if it'd be Republican or independent, but I, I think, um, I mean, he spoke in Iowa recently and, you know, he, he has a unbelievable platform, right? Just like Liz Cheney has an unbelievable platform on the January 6th committee. So do they jump in as independents? That would be the speculation. And there's also Andrew Yang. Isn't he running as an independent? Look, I hate to say this, James. When you run 18 times and lose 18 straight races like Andrew Yang has, I think at a certain point you, you stop. Yeah, right. Well, I, he, I think he was pretty shocked that he lost for mayor of New York. But I, it reminds me of uh, Richard Nixon in 1962 mm. where he lost for the He lost for president in 1960 against JFK, just barely. And, oh, but then he lost for governor in 1962 of California. Yeah. And that was a pretty significant race. He lost it to Pat Brown, who was Jerry Brown's father. But then 1968, comeback time, he won for president, perhaps because the Democrats were so divided between the Eugene McCarthy side, the Hubert Humphrey slash LBJ side, and then the tragedy of RFK in the middle. Yeah. So Richard know. Nixon did make make the comeback. But whatever happened to Dan Crenshaw? I thought he had you know, some charisma on the Republican side, but he's kind of disappeared from the media. Uh, he's taken a pretty big hit with Republican primary voters. Really? Yeah. What's going on? I don't know exactly other than, uh, I, I, you know, there there is this internal war on sort of the World Economic Forum and within the Republican Party right now and, and seeing, the again, I'm speculating on this, but I, I feel like Crenshaw has sort of embraced a more pro-war Ukraine. I just know that he's turned off a lot of Republican primary voters. Because he was kind of like the, the AOC of the Republicans. Like he was sort of- For a while you know, out there, like he did that one ad that I thought was regardless of party. I thought that one ad where he's like parachutes down and picks up his squad of candidates. Um, I thought was pretty neat ad. Yeah. Uh, but okay. One statistic that you did mention that is not related to the election as much, but just related to people's pocketbooks, 76% are really concerned about paying for necessities. I kind of think, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this, but I kind of think the Fed has gone overboard on terms of talking down the economy and that we're actually about to hit a, a deflationary spiral, you know, as inflation comes down again, when inflation comes down, it's another word for saying there's deflation and deflation is much worse than inflation. And I think the Fed maybe has gone too far. Uh, and then this will, we will see this in the data soon because who out of these 76% of the people who say they can't afford basic necessities, they're not paying for new things. Inflation has to go down when you have so many people concerned about money. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you would be smarter than me on this. I would tell you, here's what else we're seeing. Um, people are have identified that they're saving less, spending less. They're spending uh, on big ticket items have gone down um, significantly. The biggest jump has been uh, canceling vacations, postponing home improvements. Um, right. And then they are looking, then we're, we're dealing with this because we're uh, marketing some, some big companies right now. Um, and we're trying to find alternative uh, avenues for them to get their message out to make sure they're appealing to these kind of people that are looking for necessities, not looking for luxury items, right? And so buying cheaper alternatives is huge. Brand loyalty is completely plummeted, uh, according to the data we're looking at. People are cutting out non-essential purchases. They're delaying large purchases and they're buying fewer, much fewer luxury products. And it's, uh, it's been fascinating to see all of that 
play out. It seems obvious, but what's happening is people are still marketing their companies or advertising their companies around messages they were like two months ago or three months ago or six months ago, and things aren't working for them anymore. And what we're screaming and hollering, and we're going to put all this data up for free um, on my website in about, a, in about a week once we kind of get it down. This is just the raw data I looked at just today. But it's, um, it, there's an opportunity to take advantage in the market right now for a business owner in a mar and to market their business in a way that can get them exponential results. But you have to appeal to what the consumer is looking for. And if you're out there, you know, um, we worked with a, a big uh, pest control chain company. And during the pandemic, we saw at the beginning of the lockdowns, James, we saw this exact same thing playing out. People stopped spending. People just literally like hid their money. Like, I'm talking about March and April of 2020, right? And so the way we were messaging our clients at the time was appealing to consumers' necessities. Not We, we called it wants versus needs. We were appealing right. to their needs, not their wants. And so like this pest control company, it was like, Hey, the last thing you need right now is to cut your pest control company. You need, uh, you need, you don't need rodents and bugs in your house. You, COVID's going around. Like we were messaging everybody in a way that appealed to that consumer that goes, yeah, that's a necessity. That's not a luxury. And so, because that's the question that consumers are having right now in their head: Is this right. what I'm about to buy? Is it a luxury or a necessity? And I will mm -hmm. say, the only time since 2000. I would say the only time since 2009 where there might have been deflation. So the only time since the Great Depression, really, or World War II, where there was deflation, was during the Great Recession, 2008, 2009. And then after that, in March 2020, the time you're talking about, and now we're seeing the same kind of sentiment. I think we're in a deflationary period very quickly because this is the fastest they've ever raised interest rates, as far as I know, in the past 100 years. So I think we're in a much worse situation if there's a deflationary spiral than, you know, 9% inflation, which seems to have been the peak in June anyway. So people are in trouble. And I don't think the Fed realizes that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's scary. And, and the people that go, you know what, I'm just gonna curl up in my office and hope it goes away and that we survive. I, I hate to say this, they're the ones that are gonna, they're gonna go away really fast, the businesses. Like you have to embrace whatever change and it's not easy and it's hard, but for business owners out there, like I cannot, I mean, we're looking at too much data right now. You got to adapt in this moment and you can't, you got to double down in this moment. And um, that's what we're, we're really pushing out there right now is to help them understand that. Well, you know, Phil, Phil Stutz, election expert extraordinaire, and hopefully my my muse in terms of making significant amounts of money on predicted.org. Thank you so much for giving us your insights on this. Believe me, we're going to talk many more times before the 2024 election. I love this stuff. I've been, I've been following elections since I was 12 years old. Like I love, yeah. I didn't understand politics then, but I love the game. And I don't even know if I understand political well, issues. Well, that's why we, we get along is that I play in the game and yeah. it's not personal. And it's not policy. It's how is this game played? It's super fascinating, really. Yeah, I mean, you told me some stories in the past that maybe we'll get them out in, in future <laughs> uh, podcasts about some of your experiences with these candidates. They must all be just crazy, but I won't drill you on that now. But yeah, I, I, let me let me address real quick. You got one second, one more second. Yeah, yeah, of the course. Reason 
Uh, most candidates, when they decide to run for office, are humble, good. They want to do the right thing. They want to run for office. They want to change things. And they spend two years begging people to give them their votes and to give them their money, right? And it's very humbling. And then you get elected and it completely turns. Everybody's coming to you and bowing down in front of you. And yeah. it's a, it's a, I would love to see some kind of psychological study on it because what happens is eventually that politician goes, I'm wonderful. Everybody loves me, you know? And that's where it turns. And so I like working with these candidates when they're running for office because that's where you see the purity in this. It's typically when they've won and they've been there for a long time that they change. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. Yeah. So I know it's, uh, I, I look, I've always debated it myself because I've been so fascinated by it, but I, I, I think there's better ways to serve society, honestly, than being a Rand, You're running for president. Right I am now. running for what president. Yeah. I, I got to keep it, take that seriously. So maybe that'll be the next podcast. We need, that, we need to, to that. get you a shave and a haircut and then we'll put you on the trail. My my wife insists I keep the beard, but I don't know of many <laughs> candidates that other than Abraham Lincoln that have a beard. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. The, the U.S. Maybe doesn't Ted like Cruz? beards. Did, no, I don't think. Oh Cruz yeah, but but Ted Cruz is very unlikable. So <laughs> well, I mean, whether I like him or not, it seems to me I always hear that phrase used about him. But uh, yeah, I need a shave. I need a haircut. Uh, well, you know what? No, screw that. Like I'm not going to cater to the public. <laughs> I'm just going to be me. <laughs> So <laughs> what am I saying? I don't want to change. That's the whole point is that I don't want to change and be my, I want to be myself and run. So, um, well, Phil, that's great. Thank you so much. And I can't wait for the next time. And meanwhile, I'm anxiously going to make my bets today. Awesome. Swing into Seaside Golf in Ocean City, Maryland. Play like a pro at 17 championship courses designed by golf legends like Jack Nicholas and Arthur Hills. Tee off on sweeping vistas at Eagle's Landing. Savor the coastal views of Lighthouse Sound. Or see why Ocean City Golf Club is considered one of the Mid-Atlantic's finest fairways. Whether you're sneaking in a quick round on a family vacation or going all in on a golf getaway, fun is always in play at Ocean City, Maryland. Plan your trip at ococean.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.